Hello and welcome to the Bikini Down Under, where I, Kate Loder, your host, will be interviewing IFBB professionals from New Zealand, Australia, and then abroad. Thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bikini Down Under. I am super excited to share this interview with the one and only Ryan Milton from US-based Teamplex. Ryan and his team are at the top of their game, turning countless of men and women pro. In this episode, we discuss it all, so whether you're an amateur or a seasoned pro, you're definitely going to want to listen to this. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Not too bad, actually. Just walked out of work, so yeah, ready to do this. How's your day been? It's been pretty good. Yeah, it's 5 p.m. over here. It's crazy that you're in a whole different whole different Time world zone. over there, right? <laughs> I know, right. So what's um, what's your day look like? I mean, from, I guess, yeah, when you get up to, what's a typical day for you? I mean, honestly, it's pretty it's pretty much the same thing every day. I kind of just do a bunch of coaching, a bunch of content, and then go to sleep, do that again. I'll go to the gym a couple times, you know, but uh, I don't train any clients in person or anything, so it's all online. So pretty much can do whatever I need to do with the day. Brilliant. So you can do that worldwide, obviously. You've got clients all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. How about you? What's your day like? Um, at the moment with the toddler, getting her in daycare oh. has been a blessing because <laughs> I get some time back for myself. But yes. um, we run a stand-up paddleboard business. So my husband designs, I don't know if you've ever seen like a hydrofoil. It yeah, like sort of goes on the that. bottom of the board and you sort of fly through the waves. So that's that's what I do day to day. That's awesome. And then, yeah, and then I'm prepping for a show end of March. Um, oh. So a lot of cardio and a lot of prep yeah. rain at the moment. So I apologize if I seem a bit out to lunch. <laughs> That's all right. That's good. That's awesome. <laughs> Prep's coming up and it's almost showtime. That's cool. Yeah. So let's give the listeners, Ryan, a bit of background into what sort of got you starting up Team Flex. Yeah, totally. So uh, basically Team Flex, I started this as a team based on, you know, more kind of health principles. That's the way I'll say it. You know, I was a coach working at gyms. I had a lot of experience also working at actual like hospitals and stuff like that, physical therapy places as an in-house strength coach. And basically, you know, I learned a lot of different stuff about just the human body overall. And like my answers are real long, but I'll get to the point here. Basically what happened, you know, was I looked at the contest prep industry, you know, seeing all the competitors and all these different things. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of bad practices that happen in the prep space. You know what I mean? There's a lot of problems that people get with their metabolism and their hormones and bad coaching practices and things like that. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing all this crazy stuff competitors are doing. And I know for a fact, you know, based on what I know about biomechanics and anatomy and just overall body function, that these things are actually hurting these people more than helping them. So why are people doing this type of stuff? And so basically I came into the space, you know, with the idea of, okay, I'm going to kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit with contest prep traditional and bring in some of my own practices and see what happens. And then kind of the rest from there is just kind of history, honestly. Awesome. So are you an IFBB athlete yourself? No, I actually don't compete. Uh, I dedicate my time fully to coaching. So I'm not competing uh, in anything myself personally. But, uh, you know, we got IFBB competitors we coach. We got all sorts of NPC amateur competitors. We coach for, honestly, pretty much all the divisions, all the federations around the world. Nice. And what? so what were you doing before in hospitals? 
Uh, so in there, I was just doing a strength coach, in-house strength coach, honestly. So, you know, they start bringing in um, health and fitness programs into certain hospitals now. They're kind of testing this stuff out to see, um, you know, can some of the stuff be prevented, you know, especially for the older population and things like that. Um, but also, you know, people that have surgeries or they have injuries, they need to do some rehab and stuff like that. And so um, I never, I'm not a PT, like as far as physical therapy or anything like that goes myself, but I was, you know, in these areas, different hospitals, different studios and things like that years ago, doing the strength coaching, the strength and conditioning, if you will, you know, kind of helping people bridge the gap from, okay, I've been injured. I had surgery to now I want to get back to my normal every day or, you know, just preventative type stuff like that. Brilliant. And what did your family think when you were, you were like getting into this whole bodybuilding thing? Like, were they supporting it or? Yeah, my my family, is that what you said? Yeah, I just asked because I honestly, when I tell my dad that I walk around on stage in a sequin bikini, he yeah. just finds, I'm sure, the whole thing quite hilarious. But um, he supports it. But yeah, I was just always interested to hear what other people's situations are like. Oh, yeah, 100%. So my family, you know, they're very supportive of everything I've done. And if they weren't, I kind of told them that I was going to do what I wanted anyway. And that's kind of been exactly. my whole jam, you know, my whole life growing up. So um, I started actually at a gym as just a front desk person, you know, what I mean, like, that's kind of where my whole fitness journey started. And that I've never actually worked in anything but fitness. It's kind of weird to think about. But like, I've never done any of the other gigs, you know, the high school jobs, all my first jobs were at a gym, becoming a trainer and so on and so forth. And so my parents pretty much, you know, when I said, Hey, you know what, I just want to go to the gym, work out and lift some weights. I'm sure they questioned it when I was a teenager, but you know, they never told me otherwise. So I went along and did all that and the rest became what it became. Nice. And I'm um, transitioning into this. So you always hear um, competitors talking about what they look for in a coach. Yep. So I wanted to flip it around and ask, I guess, what you look for in an athlete or what are some good habits that you see that yeah make athletes great? That's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that. I like it. Uh, okay. So <laughs> what I would say, honestly, that I look for in athletes is people that can be dedicated to their goal. You know what I mean? Like that it sounds kind of weird to say that, but at the same time, that is what makes the difference between every athlete, right? The level of dedication that an athlete can bring. Um, a lot of people, you know, in every avenue of fitness, you know, they want the fastest approach, the shortcut, the whatever, and they want to, you know, try to find ways to do less of the work as opposed to figuring out how they can optimize the work they're doing and do, you know, more to get there faster. And so I think a lot of that comes from the dedication and especially me being an online coach and, you know, having Team Flex be um, a worldwide online training platform. We don't train people in person, you know what I mean? So I know like some people, they need that. Some people think that they need to have somebody there telling them, you know, with their clipboard, yelling at them, doing whatever. But that's actually not what I think uh, the best form of coaching comes from. I think the best form of coaching comes from athletes that can, in a way, embrace the coaching side of coaching themselves. You know what I mean? Like a coach should guide you. A coach should be able to give you feedback and help you get there faster. But you should be able to take that as an athlete and turn that into the next level. You know what I mean? Like a good, I think, coach-client relationship is something where it's two people driving at 100 miles an hour to get there as fast as they can, doing as much as they can, and not trying to take any shortcuts, honestly. And so what I look for when we're looking for, you know, athletes, competitors, whatever, 
we we kind of can see you know okay this person's bringing this level of dedication like yeah they'll do the training but they're going to slack on the nutrition or maybe they do the training and the nutrition really well but they're going to slack on the posing right and there's things that you can't change as a coach and honestly i think in a lot of ways it's not a coach's responsibility to be a babysitter and so at the same level i'm looking for athletes that can bring intensity bring drive bring a unique focus you know what i mean and in reality if they are somebody that really wants to compete in the sport, it all comes down to their own goals. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to do this for a different reason. And so that definitely factors in. Basically, I don't care. Like some people don't want to win their show. Some people don't want to become a pro. Some people literally just want to compete or do bodybuilding for the love of it. And if that's the goal, that's great. I want to see somebody be fully dedicated to their goal, whether they want to just show up and have a good time or they're trying to become an IFBB pro. Nice. I always wonder, how do you like check people's form? Like this is, this is for, I guess, all online coaches. Yeah. Like, I, or do you just have like athletes already at such a level, you know, that they're on point? Yeah, great question. So the way that uh, we do our coaching on Team Flex is actually all powered via our coaching app. So we have a literal app where we build out programs custom for each person. And then all they have to do is log in and they got the workouts. The cool thing that comes with the form of this is we have videos on every single exercise in there with the full tutorial. It's basically like if I was actually standing in the room with you or one of my coaches was standing in the room with you telling you what to do. And so what happens a lot of the time is, um, you know, when you're talking about competitors, you're talking about people that have been doing this for a while most of the time or at least been somewhat involved in fitness to the point where they know enough about their bodies and, you know, kind of like what's going to be good, what's not. And then they can watch the video and just apply whatever's going on in there. Um, you know, a lot of the experience that I have to actually working with people in person over the years and, you know, having worked with so many people online is that I also understand there's a little bit of flexibility when it comes to form, you know, like every person does things differently and it actually goes down to a skeletal muscle structure level. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways, mm -hmm. every single person's different. So, you know, you can go with the generic cues and stuff like that for a squat and whatnot, you know, but everybody squats in a different way. Their feet are going to be this way. You know, their knees going to go this way way. Hips are all different back, you know, everything's a little bit different for everybody because we're all unique. And so with that, there's quite a variability that somebody can actually have what's called quote unquote, good form. And, you know, a lot of times you can find this out very easily by, oh, you know, I went to the gym yesterday and I started to do this squat, but my knee bothered me. Uh, well, what I always say is anybody who feels anything, you know, if you're online training and you train with me, especially, but anywhere, you should always do this. If you feel something going on, you know, you start doing a shoulder press, maybe your shoulder hurts, whatever, skip it for that day. Move on. There's probably a ton of exercises that are in your program that you could still do and then report back to your coach. And then your coach can hopefully work with you to kind of figure out what's going on with that, what it could be caused by, you know, maybe it's something as simple as you didn't warm up right or you know if it's a form issue then literally if we need to we also have a video feature in the app where they can record a video send it and coaching cues can happen that way i mean in physical sense of actually needing to be there for form it's not a huge thing for what i've learned or what i've experienced over all the years yeah i agree i mean at this point people who are generally training for a show they sort of know what's up so yeah good to have that cleared up and what about like genetics like do you think like that plays a massive part in people's placings or can you actually work to to get to it you know an elite level without them 
Yeah, so I mean, genetics, they definitely do apply. Um, but what I always say is everybody has genetics, right? So like, they're, are yeah. they the make or break? No, I don't think they're the make or break. I think there's always going to be some genetic freaks out there that can do well in whatever they do. But not all of them are bodybuilders either, right? Like they're in other sports or other athletes or whatever. And there's always going to be those outliers and those people. And a lot of times those are the people we look up to. But that doesn't mean that no uh, people can't go out of their way to, you know, kind of influence their own genetics. In a lot of ways, people can do that, right? We see that all the time in the sense of like, somebody could be, um, you know, somebody could be a bikini competitor, for example, and their entire family would be overweight, but they actually compete and they, you know, they compete and they do well and they can go to the IFBB pro level. They can, you can, in other words, influence your lifestyle a lot and, you know, almost shift what's going on and what you could call genetics. I've never been a huge fan myself of saying like, oh, well, this is in your genetics, so you're doomed. I always say, you know, you can do a lot to to better yourself, to work harder, to go further. You can get a lot of places just by taking the discipline and the drive to actually try to change things. Obviously, you can't change the bone structure and the muscle structure and the things that, you know, you were born with, but can you influence them on your life? Absolutely. Brilliant. I love that. And what about beginner's advice for girls getting into this? What would you give them? Yeah. So getting into it, first thing I would say is, you know, you got to get, you got to have a real expectation. That's the, probably the first thing. Like a lot of women getting into the sport, I know they look and they see other bikini competitors and so on and so forth. And they're like, okay, I want to do that. But that's just the face value of what this actually is, right? <laughs> like we know that getting into the sport, you're actually basically taking on an entirely new lifestyle. So it's not as simple as like, hey, I want to throw on a bikini and get on stage. Maybe I got to lose a couple pounds, whatever. You're probably going to have to shift your whole lifestyle for at least whatever amount of time that you're going to do this sport. And so with that, you know, it could be a, a bigger shift. For some people, it might not be as big of a shift. But, you know, we're talking about your training has to change. It goes from like, I want to go to the gym to work out to like, like I'm training for a specific goal and the same with your eating, you know, you got to have a higher emphasis on that. You got to learn how to pose. And then there's a whole other side of everything that I always say everybody forgets, right? Cause even as like seasoned competitors, oftentimes they're on prep and they freak out cause they forgot to book their tan in time or something like that, or, you know, different things. They forgot to register for the show by the deadline. Like there's all the other side of this sport too. That is like the administrative side, you know what I mean? Like almost like, oh, I got to get my suit in time. I got to make sure I have my hair and makeup booked. I got to know when my tans are at. And hopefully that doesn't conflict when I need to be on stage. And I actually have to register and I have to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes into it. So when you go into it, I would say beginner advice, you should probably get yourself a coach. I mean, that's, that's what I strongly suggest because at this level now, Everybody is coming to the shows at a much higher caliber than they ever did. You know, we've been in the sport now for a bit going on now years where the competitors show up and they almost look like they could be, you know, they've been competing for years, but it might be their first show. And so when the quality is so good and everything is so good now and like people really know how to train and there's tons of great teams and coaches out there, it brings the, the caliber of the sport up. And so with that, it can be a really huge advantage, I think, for a lot of competitors to have a coach. I know a lot of competitors 
don't want to go that route or they think they can do it themselves. And yeah, it can be done, but is it going to be even more so 10 times harder to do the same result? Absolutely. So I think, you know, as a beginner, you should get a coach, somebody that can help you, somebody that can guide you, somebody that can tell you, Hey, do these things. And so you can be the athlete. You don't have to sit there and try to guess, do I need to change my nutrition today? Or my check-ins looking good today? Like, where do I need to go today? Get the map and then become the athlete and work as hard as you can to make that map work the best for you. A hundred percent. And would you recommend girls like having like a foundation sort of season where they build some muscle? Because you know how like I guess some people when they strip back the fat, they can just look like a little lean because they haven't built the muscle up first. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah. So what I call that is improvement season. That's the way that I talk about it. You know, a lot of people say off season. I actually like the way you put it. But um, basically, you know, I think of it as improvement season where sometimes you might have to do that. Like sometimes a prep isn't just about dieting down. It could be, oh, you actually need to build some muscle first because let's not forget the most important thing uh, when we're talking about bikini and stuff like that is the muscle. That's bodybuilding. That's actually every division we could ever talk about, you know, no matter what it is, the sport of bodybuilding. And I consider bikini competitors and everybody bodybuilders because we're working on the body. Uh, the most important thing is always the foundation of muscle and the shape that that creates on a physique, right? Conditioning comes secondary to that. Obviously, you have to have the right level of uh, leanness and, you know, the right cuts on stage and so on. But if you don't have the muscle, you already lost the battle. You got to have the right shape, the size and all that. Cause that's what really gives you the look on stage that you want to have the right aesthetics. And so sometimes it is a thing where you got to build muscle, but I always say, you know what, if you're a first time competitor, just get on stage first. Cause in a lot of times, um, you want to get the feedback. You want to hear from the actual judges. You want to know, okay, what do they actually want to see you improve on your physique? So most of the time I'll say, Hey, let's do a show. Uh, even if you haven't necessarily done an improvement phase or anything like that, let's get out there. Let's do what we can with the time we got. Maybe we do a couple months beforehand before we go into like the deep mode of a lean out for a prep. And then let's get you on stage. Let's see what the judges think. Like, what do they want you to improve on? Do they want more shoulders? Maybe it's more glute, more leg. What is it? And then we can take that into a real dedicated phase where that can then elevate you further down the road into other competitions. I agree. That's what I think I did the first time. I I think it was just important to get out there, like shake off the nerves and then sort of work from there on out. Yeah. I mean, I agree a hundred percent because also with social media, unfortunately, so many expectations can be created in the mind of like, Oh no, what do I have to look like? Where do I need to be? Am I lean enough? Do I have enough muscle? But you know, once you actually do it, you realize, Oh, this is quite a bit different than it looks on all the nicely filtered photos and well posing and you know, all this stuff. So I think even for athletes to really get into the mode where they can perform at their best, they have to eliminate the, uh, the part of, you know, show prep and being there and competing, that is the unknown, which is actually being there. Because no matter how many videos you want to watch, how much you want to look at stuff, even if you want to go sit in the audience, it's not the same as standing in the box on stage. A hundred percent. And what would you recommend, I guess, for a time frame for a beginner? Yeah, for the most part, I say 16 weeks. That's where I say start. That's generic. What I do when I bring somebody on is I say, hey, let me see what's going on here. Like, let's get some pictures, some stats, some weight. Let's see where you're at. And then I'm going to give them their own custom kind of timeline in the most part. But then you also got to take into consideration, you know, the fact that 
we don't know exactly how somebody's body's going to respond. Like we can give our best intention at training and nutrition, but if there's any coach out there that tells you it's a guaranteed, oh, you're going to respond to this, it's going to happen like this, I would say they're probably not telling you the truth because at the end of the day, everybody's different and a different approach might be the one they need. So I say 16 weeks for a first prep because that gives me as a coach some leeway into, okay, maybe something comes up where, oh, this, this nutrition actually wasn't the best fit. Maybe we should raise the carbs up and see if that helps get the results faster. It gives us kind of, you know, a little bit of leeway between where we can make some changes. And also for people's personal life, because a lot of people get into this and they, you know, they dedicate their three to four months to this basically. And then stuff happens in their personal life that actually affects their training. And, you know, they weren't planning on that because nobody ever is. But, you know, a lot of times you can still recuperate and go do the show and perform well and do good. And I also like to give a little bit extra time in that window because I want my competitors actually to be ready in advance of their show day. I, I want people, you know, two weeks to 10 days out being in their competition physique comfortably and sitting there. I'm not trying to peak athletes in or do anything like that. You know what I mean? So for me, first timers, I say 16 weeks or more. Like that's really where it's going to be. I know a lot of first timers try to do eight and 12 week preps. It can be done. It will be stressful. Yeah. Wow. Eight weeks. I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So what about um, girls wanting to join Team Flex? So let's give them a bit of a rundown of what they can expect, I guess, in terms of like training programs and all that good stuff. Yeah, I could say way too much about this. So I'll try to keep it as simple as I can. <laughs> but basically, yeah, Team Flex, I mean, the thing that makes us different is that we do everything 100% custom for everybody. Um, a lot of the competition coaching industry, you know, it used to be, I think it is moving more so to the customized zone now, but it used to be that you would get, you know, here's a meal plan. Oh, you're a bikini competitor. Here's a training program. And it's the same one for everybody kind of thing where I just know having worked with so many people over the years that nothing works like that in this game at all. Like if I could tell you the thousands of macro and meal plans and training programs I've done, you couldn't look at any two of them and they would look the same because I know that every single person's body responds to everything different. So with that, what we do is we, we power all of this via our coaching app. I kind of went into that a little bit earlier, but basically the app, we build you your programs and you can just log in there and it shows you everything you would need to do, all your sets, all your reps. You can track them so we can see them as your coaches. Uh, you can put your progress pictures in there, your body stats, literally down to your nutrition tracking so we can see if you've been hitting your macros, if you're on top of nutrition, if you're not. It's got in-app messenger. It's got pretty much everything you can need. It's like the closest thing we can get to having your trainer physically with you 24 seven. You know what I mean? Like literally that's as close as it gets. And so with that, I mean, the, that's only handling the training and nutrition. Obviously we got posing coaching. We do that online as well. We got all division posing coaching. Um, and a unique thing, you know, that we also have is something that we just started with that we call the VIP program. And this is actually a program we started to handle the other side of contest prep. So like I was talking about earlier, you know, you got to register for the shows, you got to get your memberships, you got to make sure your suit consults are ready, your tan, your make all that. Well, we actually built something now where we handle that for our athletes. And, you know, we can go in there and set you up, get you registered, get your cards set, get, you know, your tans booked and all these things so that you can just be that athlete and go forth with it. Um, one more cool thing we do on Team Flex, and I don't want to talk too long. Anybody that wants more info, you can go to teamflex.com with two Fs 
and you'll see more there, is we do what's called show day coaches, okay? So with us being a worldwide team, Obviously, I coach a lot of people. I got other coaches under me that we coach a bunch of people, but we can't be everywhere at the same time, right? And what happens is competitors could be competing uh, across the country. Somebody could be competing where you're at right now, and I might not be able to get there. In fact, I wouldn't because I'm on the podcast with you, right? And so what we actually have is what we call show day coaches, where I've built a team of dedicated individuals that are competitors themselves, and we train them extra on how to show up and support an athlete at the actual show day. And so basically what it is, is they go in kind of as a fill-in coach for that day to be there to take the coach's directions in the case of like, if I needed somebody there on my behalf, they can be there to help them pump up. And, you know, when do you eat and how do you do this? And, oh, extra posing. And mainly, let's be honest, to get the videos and to get the pictures and to get all the flashy Instagram stories up. So that's kind of, you know, what we do. And I think that's a really cool thing because I know a lot of competitors that go to shows and they don't have their coach there and they weren't going to have their coach there or God forbid the coach says, if I'm going to be there, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like you guys have really got it all covered. That sounds amazing. What about athletes check-ins as well, Ryan? Like, do you do those weekly or I guess they may change as you get closer to the show? Yeah, that's a great question. We do weekly check-ins all across the board. And um, basically how it works is no matter if you're improvement season or you're in prep season or if you're a week out, we're doing week check-ins. And kind of how this works is um, in our app, we do progress pictures, we do body stats. A lot of times we do posing as well. So like you have to send a posing video check-in, etc. And the reason I make people do this all the time is because if you're dedicated to the sport, we know that there's all phases of this sport. You got to be able to be in all modes of the sport. I'm not the type of coach and we don't coach on team flex like this at all for like an off season. Like, you know, where competitors really strict, they do really good. They're on their diet. They're on their training. As soon as the show's over, they go on a bender and they gain 35 pounds in four weeks. We don't do that kind of coaching. You know, like when the show day's over, we're either looking at the next show now, or if we're doing an improvement phase, we're doing it strategically to where you're going to get the best result and you're going to be able to maintain the best physique without damaging your hormones, your metabolism, et cetera. So with that comes the fact that we need constant information of what's going on. What is your physique actually looking like, right? How are your measurements actually looking? What's the scale telling us, even though I'm not a big fan of the scale? Uh, and then, you know, are you practicing your posing? Because posing and presentation, let's be honest, is probably the biggest, most important part of any contest prep. Because at the end of the day, if you can't pose, you can't present, it's not going to result in you scoring good, no matter how good you look out there. So, you know, I have people do that all the time. Peak week is the exception. So about, you know, coming into show seven to 10 days, we start doing daily check-ins and it's the same form of our normal check-ins, pictures, weights, videos every day, every day, every day. And most of the time never have to change anything, but it's just good to be aware of, you know, combat anything that comes up again, peak week in uh, just competing in general. So many things can affect your physique. It's crazy. It, it goes so much further beyond just training and nutrition. It can be like you're stressed out about something on Monday or, you know, whatever's going on and it affects your body. And so with that, uh, you know, we like to keep a little bit more information during that last bit of time to make sure that if any changes need to be made they can be made a hundred percent what about amateurs over there like is it sort of it's i think it's 15 to 20 seconds for us posing is it the same over in the states that's what it is for you 15 20 yeah uh, think- we get even less <laughs> yeah, they get so many they girls get about, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. They get about 10 to 15 seconds over here. And uh, again, that goes differently at every show. I'm sure that's how it is over there too. Sometimes you get more, sometimes you get less. What I say for posing is practice both routines. Practice posing very, very quickly. Practice posing very, very slowly. And then, you know, make sure you can do both well. Because you never know what you're actually going to get on show day. Because if a, if a class, let's say, is smaller, maybe you get more time. If the class is very, very big and, you know, they got to get tons of people through, it could be faster. So that's kind of how it's done over here, at least. I don't know if they do the same way over there, but that's what we yeah. get. Yeah, I kept hitting my back pose, my first comp, and the guy just it's like started telling like the next person's name. He was like, yep, had enough of seeing your ass get off the stage. So I, yeah. this time around, <laughs> I'll be very right. much faster. It's hilarious looking back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what about in terms of training? Um, yeah. Should men and women train the same? Like, do you recommend that or like? Yeah, so definitely training differently, right? If you're a competitor, you should be training for whatever division you're in. Um, in general though, men and women just have different goals. So as far as what exercise they do and how they do it, I mean, a lot of the training principles will be similar. You know, like I do a lot of tempo work, a lot of time under tension stuff, a lot of supersets, drop sets, all, all those things stay the same for any kind of training program. You know, like you would mix those things in, but you're always should be catering a training program to a specific goal and also that specific person. So let's say somebody wants to be a bikini competitor. They have a show they want to do. Okay, well, first thing we need to do is, oh, we know, okay, bikini competitor physique looks like this. We need the shoulders. We need the waist to do this. We need the glutes to do that. We need the legs to be here. Okay, we know that. Now we got to look at who we're working with and say, okay, what do they have? Where do they need to improve? Maybe they need to take something down. Where do we need to go with that physique. And so with that, everything, you know, this goes back to what I said about custom training. I think that's the number one thing. And I think competitors that don't do customized training are really holding themselves back a lot. You know, we're talking about genetics earlier. You can give a run at anybody with good genetics if you got a really, really highly customized training program. Nice. And what about calves? Do you guys train calves as well? Like, do you think that's sort of part of the package? Like calves? a yeah yeah um for bikini competitors you mean yeah i guess i i mean for me personally i could just tell i didn't have them so i think i thought i needed to bring them up but so if someone was lacking would you recommend they did train them yeah i would say if you're lacking maybe but also it's not something that's hugely scored in bikini division so what you got to look at with every division is the is uh obviously how the judging works too that's mm. important that comes into tr uh, training programs you know like in a lot of different divisions, there are certain things that they're looking for and then there are certain things they're not and maybe won't hurt your scoring as much. Calves, for me, are one of those things that um, I've, I've probably in my career given like any calf work to a bikini competitor maybe like twice. Because <laughs> like mm -hmm. what I find is a lot of the stuff that I make them do for their legs will bring those there. We do a lot of plyometrics. We do a lot of stuff. I mean, I can give you more of a training split if that's helpful. If that's kind of what you're asking, I could give you a basic idea of what a training split could look like for yeah, somebody. For um, sure. Okay. Yeah. So for a bikini competitor. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Okay. So 
typically for me, it's four or five days a week. Um, and some people hearing this are probably like, what? I train six, I train seven. Well, you might be overtraining. And that's what I would say. You know, a lot of, a lot of people push that, but at the same time, your muscles and you know, your physique is not being built when you're in the gym. It's being built outside the gym. You got to train intensely to then recover even more intensely. So you can actually get the benefit, right? So four to five days a week is what I suggest most of the time. And basically what it looks like is an upper body day where it could be, be, um, let's say shoulders and back or something like that, or maybe back and biceps, you know, we're working the pulling muscle groups, et cetera there. And then moving into, um, like the next day being a lower body day. So allowing the upper body, you know, time to recover and work through that. And that lower body day could be specific to glute and hamstring work, you know, posterior chain stuff. Uh, usually then on this third day, I would suggest a rest day, or um, an active kind of an active rest day, in other words. So plyometrics or a body weight type circuit, or maybe just cardio on some type of machine, or you know, even getting out and taking a walk or something like that. You know, just being active. And then moving into another upper body day, where again we would probably do shoulders or triceps or something like that. Whatever we didn't get on the the previous upper body day, moving into another lower body day following, where that could be maybe it's more quads now we're focusing on, or just over overall legs or it's, you know, glutes, quad, it goes, there's so many ways it could go because it's all individual to the physique. But what I do like to have is, you know, that upper, lower, upper, lower with the right amount of rest. So we're really looking at things being, you know, pretty, pretty full rest there. And, you know, to go back to the calves on a plyometric day, like if we have one of those middle of the week or something like that, you're going to get a ton of calf work doing that. You don't need to go do calf raises after that. You know what I mean? So, that's kind of how I would structure it. Sometimes what I'll do when a competitor is very close to a competition is I will add in another day where I call it strong points. Okay. And so this day is dedicated towards looking at the specific physique and working on the extra bits that we need to bring up a little bit more. So taking weak points, right. And making them into strong points. And so that could be a specific day where it's maybe not even that long of a training session or as hardcore, but we're looking to actually bring a certain area up or take something down or, you know, it's something very, very specific to that person's physique. Awesome. I love that. And what do you see like bikini changing that much? Like I actually can't believe like how much bigger people's lats are looking like in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, bikinis changed an insane amount. If you look back when it started, it has changed dramatically. Like I always say, and I actually have done a lot of videos on this, like when bikini first started, it was almost like you didn't necessarily need to do any of this type of stuff as intensely as you do now. Right. Yeah. Like you could, you could definitely have almost just looked good in a bikini already and basically said, I'm going to go compete. And you could have probably done okay back then. Nowadays, like I was saying earlier, with all the teams and the coaches and the highly, highly dedicated athletes, the quality's just come up so much. And so what happens is all these judges are sitting here, you know, and they have to place the best people on stage. But if the best continues to get better, what happens is they just continues to escalate and elevate where the physiques are and, you know, where it's going to become. And that's what's really raised it a lot, I think. And yeah, bikini compares definitely cannot just, you know, say, oh, I look pretty good in a bikini. I'm going to show up. You can't do that anymore. Now you got to like, oh, we're going to train. I got to build muscle. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I got to, you know, really dedicate my life to this sport for at least whatever amount of time you're doing your competition to then go and hopefully do your best there. A hundred percent. And you guys also have like a lot of international competitors as well, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Tons, tons and tons of international competitors. Um, like I said, we do worldwide. We coach all divisions. You know, there's the wellness and all these other things that are popping up now too. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And it does vary, but it also stays the same as far as like what the physiques look like and what they're going to want to see in these things. Because everything kind of, you know, in a lot of ways gets based off of what kind of goes on at the Olympia and so on and so forth, right? So yeah. with that, we can see that kind of trickle out into even other federations, uh, other divisions even for the most part where we can see, okay, yeah, it is all different. I mean, obviously everything is different depending on the area. I mean, even in the States here, a bikini competitor in California looks different than they do in Texas and, you know, and so on and so forth, even just a few States away. So, I mean, that that's kind of be everywhere, but the same type of principles and the same rules, they always seem to apply for the most part in my experience. Awesome. And what about like an anabolic window after a show? Is that like a thing? Like, and how, I guess, would you make the most of that if that does exist? Anabolic window after a show? Yeah, like you often hear people say like that's the time to grow. Like your body's quite sensitive. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's oh, the thing Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I mean after the show, what we do on Team Flex is we do what's called reverse dieting. Okay. And so this is what I believe is the most important thing. And literally I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. It'll be the difference if you do a reverse diet correctly of if you come back 10 times better next season or you stay relatively the same and maybe a little bit better when you come back. And it's because of the fact that when you've done a show, right? And I could, I could talk for four hours on this. So I'm gonna try to dance it down (laughs) for you, give you the easy version. But basically when you've done a show, you've been dieting no matter what, that's, that's part of it. You've been dieting, you've been training hard, your calories are low, you're training hard. A lot of people end up doing cardio. And with that, what happens to the body is the body says, okay, well, we got a lot of energy going out. We're putting out a lot of work in the gym, a lot of sets, a lot of reps, and we're even doing cardio. And at the same time, our food is low. We are in a deficit, right? You have to be here to burn body fat, by the way. But your brain, your primitive mind has no idea what you're doing. It says, okay, well, at the root of what our goal is, as a primitive brain of an animal type being, which is humans, right? The high activity and low calories, that's a signal for we are in a serious problem and potential threat to us, right? Like literally that's what the brain's saying. It doesn't know you're a competitor on prep trying to, you know, go do cardio and you're you're purposely eating less. Your body, though, takes these measures internally to slow things down like your metabolism to try to fight you on burning body fat stores. And then if it could get a chance, it would pack on body fat as fast as it could to kind of, you know, try to basically prevent for the next time that you end up in a spot like that, right? That's the whole kind of principle of energy in versus energy out and so on and so forth. And so with that post comp, you have definitely taxed these things no matter what going into a prep. You've done it for months at a time where you were dieting, you were training, even if you do it in the most healthy and sustainable way possible, it's still happening. So what can happen then immediately is your metabolism slow and you start eating a bunch right after comp trying to, you know, really I guess in this sense, um, bulk up more, get, you know, it's your body sensitive so you could gain more muscle. Well, what's probably going to happen is you're going to gain a lot more body fat because muscle doesn't build any faster 
anytime, no matter what's happening to it, muscle builds at the same rate. Body fat, however, can be stored very quickly and very easily. Anybody knows this if they've ever, you know, been on a bender for a few weeks, eating a bunch of bad food, you gain weight almost overnight. But when you try to go turn around and lose it, it takes you weeks and months and countless amounts of time and dedication to do so, right? So the body's not going to build muscle any faster. Um, So I'm not necessarily a huge advocate of that. What we do is reverse dieting where we are strategically trying to increase calories and macros to boost the metabolism, get the hormones where they need to be. Hopefully they stayed where they need to be the whole time. Um, And then we can get calories up while maintaining good conditioning. And what happens is you end up building lean mass, you build quality mass, and you can come into a competition and do a prep with very high calories and minimal body fat to start, which makes prep so much easier. So that's kind of what I'd say about that. Brilliant. And what is like, I guess, your view on reverse dieting? Like some people say like you bring it up to maintenance straight away or you incrementally do it slowly. So yeah, what's your view? Yeah, my okay. That great question. You got you got all the good questions. Um, <laughs> I definitely do not go straight to maintenance. Again, like I said in the last bit, uh, you know your metabolism slow. So anything we give it, it's its first goal. Your body's first goal is to say let's store body fat because we're low on body fat. We're low on energy. You know, we just did a prep. Your body th- doesn't get that though. So it will if you just juice it right up to maintenance. Uh, maintenance isn't maintenance anymore. That's the first thing you understand. Maintenance for your prep is now what your new metabolic maintenance probably is. Like, let's say you were, I don't know, eating 1400 calories going into your show and you thought your maintenance was 1800 because that's where you started at your prep. Well, that's not your maintenance. Now your body has changed. You've lost body fat. You know, you have different amounts of muscle. You have a different composition. So your metabolic rate probably has changed. And with that, unless you're testing it in, you know, very rigorous testing circumstances, it'd be very hard to know your exact maintenance. So the better approach to do is to just start with where you're at because you can at least know, well, what I've been doing has got me where I'm at right now. So starting a slow increase in specific macronutrients too. Like your protein doesn't necessarily need to come up probably if you dieted the right way. Where you actually need to bring up is probably your carbs and your fats. And so as you start doing that, should be done fairly slowly in my opinion because we do not want to pack body fat on competitors. That sets you up. It's so hard. You know, anybody who's ever done a prep that way where they maybe didn't follow a reverse or they just didn't have one or, you know, some people only hire a coach for that 12 weeks of prep and then they're like, oh, show's over. See you later. Well, what happens to those people is a lot of times we see them gain a lot of weight very fast. And that's because the body did not get a reverse diet. The metabolism didn't speed back up. And then it becomes so hard to continually you know, prep down for a show again. And eventually you see competitors, their body fat's just so stubborn, they could do almost anything in the world and it's not going to go because their body fat cells have become so resilient to the kind of classic yo-yo diet of I'm dieting really hard and now I'm not. I'm dieting really hard and now I'm not. Well, the body knows your tricks and fat cells literally will be resilient. The more times you burn them, the more times you fill them, the less that they can actually be burnt in the future. And this is actually a fun fact for anyone listening. You never actually lose a body fat cell. Your body fat cells shrink, but they always remain in your body. So guess what? If you're a competitor and you got down to 115 to compete 
And then you off season within a very short amount of time, you somehow got, you know, into the 135, the 140, the 150, and you gained mainly body fat doing that because you didn't do it in a way where you could build a lot of muscle and it was too short of a time frame. Well, now you have those fat cells that need to be burned the next time you compete and they're not going anywhere. And so yeah. you're going to have to burn them, but it's a lot more work. And that's why preps often get very, very hard. And, you know, some competitors can get away absolutely with doing with not doing a reverse diet once or twice because your body will survive. Your body will figure it out. But eventually, you know, you don't want to get lean once or twice. You want to be able to get lean and control your body and feel great and not deal with the ups and downs and the yo-yo effects of a metabolism problem, a hormone problem, and so on and so forth. And with that, that really does come from being able to do a successful reverse diet. That's amazing. Yes. So definitely crucial to be on top of that. And what about like glycogen levels? Like I sometimes I eat like egg whites after training. Like, is it really important to eat carbs like post-workout? Like what's I guess the role of them? Yeah. So, I mean, carbs, uh, really anything you eat is your fuel source for, for your body carbs, you know, in the form of glucose, whatever gets stored in your body, glycogen, all that, that's just extra energy. Um, I'm assuming that you're kind of talking about this in the sense of like the anabolic window post training session and yeah. where you need to replenish because you need to shuttle the protein to your muscles. So yeah, I'll tell you this. Well, uh, there's a lot of stuff saying that there's a lot of stuff not saying that, I've coached people that do both and both people can get results. You know what I mean? There's people that I coach that actually do intermittent fasting and things like that. And they literally won't even have a meal post-workout, whatever, because of their, they chose that lifestyle, right? I'm not with, with our customized nutrition. uh, I'm not stuck in giving people like, Oh, you need this carbs here. You need that there. The way we do it is like, if somebody wants to compete and they want to do like keto or something like that, okay, cool. I'm going to give you a keto plan to do your prep and we'll still be able to get good results because again, you know, we can customize everything for people and that's what really works. So I've seen people that do really well with, you know, different amounts of carbs. I've seen people that do really bad with having high carbs and, you know, so on and so forth. To answer your question more specifically, I don't think there's any specific need that you need to worry about the amount of protein that you get or the amount of carbs that you get or anything within that short period of time before or after a workout. What does matter for the most part, and if you want the 95%, then what you're looking at is getting your macros on par for your daily total, okay? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you wanna have ended your day eating the right amount of protein, eating the right amount of carbs, eating the right amount of fat, and the right amount of fibers for your goals. And if you do that, it matters much less what times a day, when things happen. You know, when we look at the real science behind a lot of the traditional old school bodybuilding practices, a lot of it can turn out to be that it didn't have a lot of actual scientific merit. It was just kind of what everybody did, and that's kind of carried on. And now that we have a lot of studies that do happen, what really is shown to be the most effective is that you hit your, your goals for your day totals. The timing can vary. The amount of meals can vary. The frequency can vary. And I would say at the end of the day, what you got to do is do what works for you. Test some things out, have your coach hopefully set you up with some good stuff and see what's working, see what's not. And you'll find out very quickly, you know, where you kind of fit. Awesome. That is great advice. And I was going to ask with all the ladies out there wearing waist trainers, what's your take on that whole thing? Yeah, waist trainers. Uh, I would say if you're going to wear a waist trainer, you should do the old school version of a waist trainer that actually works, which is vacuums, right? Yeah. And I don't know. 
um if everybody knows about vacuums it's kind of weird because it's been such an old exercise like arnold was doing this back in the old old days when he's writing the first bodybuilding encyclopedia but waist trainers you know they're doing the same thing a vacuum is doing but a vacuum does it on a healthy level and so waist trainers i don't have my competitors do that I mean, mm-hmm. I don't go out of my way to tell competitors to do that ever. I don't go out of my way to tell people to do that. I know there's a lot of things that can go wrong with wearing race trainers, right? Like you can actually rearrange your organs or have other problems that happen. So I just really haven't dabbled much into that myself. Um, but if somebody's doing it, I have not seen it benefit nor necessarily hurt any competitors that I've known to do it or that I've coached that have done it, that I wasn't monitoring it. I've never seen it benefit anybody more than doing stuff like vacuums. Sure. And how often would you recommend doing vacuums? Like the whole way through your prep? Uh, yeah, I know every day, every day, no matter what prep, not prep Mm -hmm. all the time because vacuums and for anybody listening that might not know what a vacuum is, it's basically like you expel all the air out of your stomach and then you pull your belly button in like you're trying to draw your belly button to your spine and you hold that position while basically what you're doing is training, um, your inner abdominal muscles, right? And everybody's probably saying, oh, I do crunches. I do sit-ups. I do my leg raises. I don't need that. Well, you actually have an internal weight belt that is called the transverse abdominis. And literally the only way to train that is uh, through different breathing exercises and deep diaphragmatic things like that. And so, you know, you see people wearing weight belts or waist trainers or whatever. A lot of guys don't even do the waist trainer. They just wear a really tight weight belt the whole time they work out because they think that they're doing the same thing. And in reality, you can get this effect by actually just doing the vacuum. And so you hold your breath, you do that, you do a couple sets of that, you know, you can do it in between sets and so on and so forth. But I say do it all the time as a practice for everyday life. Because unfortunately, what happens in our current day's lifestyle, like, I don't know if you're sitting down right now, but I am. And so that what happens is, is we have zero muscle activation going on in our actual abdominals right now, right? Anytime you're sitting, or even if you're standing in a stagnant spot for too long, you're not actually using your your postural muscles and things like that in the right manner whatsoever. And so that's actually how a lot of people end up having problems, you know, with distended guts and things like that that are competitors, but also just normal everyday people. It's because they have no concept anymore in their actual body of how to turn these muscles on and how to use them to support themselves. And I've seen vacuums fix people's back problems. I've seen vacuums help people with their gut stuff. I've had I've seen a ton of competitors benefit from vacuums for sure because when you're posing on stage it can give you such a different aesthetic if you know how to hold your stomach in versus you're on the sideline and you're hot and you're tired and all of a sudden you start breathing through your belly and now the judges are seeing something a little bit different so (laughs) i say vacuums all the time do it as a warm-up i have people do it as a warm-up i have people do it between sets i have people do it at night before they go to sleep you know whenever you can fit it in do it it takes two minutes a day and it's not something that, you know, it takes, it doesn't take any time and it has such a great effect. Oh, I'm going to get back to them because I've been really slacking on them. So yeah, <laughs> time to pick them back up. <laughs> time to get it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I was sort of looking lately, I mean, I was listening to a thing about Lyle McDonald and he was saying that he doesn't think that the hip thrust is that effective. So what's your take on that? Like, I guess you give like a variety of exercises. The hip thrust isn't everything. Yeah. So hip thrust for, for what for glutes or yeah, glutes. Yeah. Strictly okay. growing the booty. 
Yeah, so what I'll say, um, I would I would disagree. So this guy's saying it's not effective? Yeah, well, he was just sort of saying, like, compete. I think he was just saying that it's taken away from other exercises like the RDL and squats and things. Like, he was sort of saying that they're just as important as the hip thrust. Yeah, uh, interesting. Um, I would say hip thrust, if you're on Team Flex, you're doing hip thrust. That's, that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is. The dudes are doing hip thrust on Team Flex, okay? Because yeah. th- that exercise – is such a great exercise for so many reasons. Now, that can change if it's done incorrectly. I know there's a lot of coaching that is not actually on par with how you should kind of do these things. But basically, if you do a hip thrust correctly, it is one of the only type of you know, big, heavy movements you can do that actually strictly isolate the glute. Okay. That's, mm-hmm. this is like one of the only ones that do that. Um, like if we're talking about deadlifts, well, you got your hamstrings working, your calves are working, your midsection's working, your arms are working, your shoulders, are working, everything's working when you do a deadlift. Same when you're doing a squat, right? These yeah. types of big compound movements that have widely been looked at as like, oh, this is the best way to train glutes. You know, there was that old, all these old stuff, the, the memes and whatever that would always pop up about like how you build a booty is doing squats. That's not the most effective exercise at all. I mean, most yeah. of the time you're going to build your legs more than your glutes at all doing squat. So with that hip thrusts are a great exercise because it actually, if you do it correctly, it will isolate everything. You can literally take pretty much all your muscles out of it aside from your glutes. If you're doing it correctly on mm-hmm. a bench and you know, so on and so forth with the right head position and the right, uh, upper body engagement and so on and so forth with that, you'll get a great effect, um, with the glutes. So I say for sure that I would, I would say they actually add to other exercises. Um, what happens going back to like tying this into what I just talked about, about people's posture and the fact we sit and do all this. Well, a lot of people don't understand the fact that when you are sitting on your ass all day, you're actually training it to go to sleep. Like literally it's compressed. It's sitting there. And when you go to train, you end up trying to do glute exercises, deadlifts, squats, whatever, and it's actually still not activated, right? Like nobody's going out of their way to make sure their glutes actually working. And so that's how you end up seeing, you know, competitors that get way overdeveloped quads and things like that. And yet they haven't been able to achieve their glute development is because literally the muscle's not activated. But where you can bring in hip thrusts, let's say at the beginning of your workout before you do maybe your squats or you do your deadlifts, I've seen consistently that a lot of people that have trouble activating their glutes, if they do hip thrust first, will be like, whoa, I did squats today and I didn't feel my quads nearly as much as I felt my glutes. Or I did deadlifts today and I didn't feel that nearly as much. And so I would say that it actually is very, very effective for even helping bring in more uh, muscle activation to every other exercise. Now this goes down to what you would want to say about what reps, what sets, and how heavy and so on and so forth. There's a ton of ways you could use it. I would definitely say though, if you're trying to work on your glutes, you should not be skipping out on the hip thrust. Awesome. The thrust is a must. That's it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What about, um, can we build muscle in um, a calorie deficit? Is that possible? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So scientifically, you really can't, for the most part, do that. Um, a lot of people think that they are building muscle when they're leaning out because they're getting leaner and they look more muscular, right? Mm-hmm. An actual trick for a lot of competitors is uh, 
They might not be the biggest competitor on stage, but if they bring a certain amount of conditioning, they might look the biggest because they're showing certain amounts of muscle, you know, like that's actually what can happen very, very often is. And so as people diet down, they might look in the mirror and be like, whoa, my shoulders are growing, uh, you know, whatever's going on. But in reality, you're just seeing more of the actual muscle. And so if it looks leaner, it actually appears bigger aesthetically. Now, there's always two sides of this coin, right? There's always other ways you could talk about this. And there are ways you can do diets and still build muscle by doing things like refeeds. And that's actually an increase in calories when you do a refeed. So I can't, I don't really know if we can even categorize that as, yeah, you're in a deficit, but if you're doing a refeed, does it count? I don't know. But you can do that to where, okay, competitors are maybe leaning out and they're doing this and that, and you want to preserve muscle, you want to build muscle, you can do refeeds where you're calculating bringing in a certain amount of carbs and a certain amount of fats to increase to thus provide, you know, more muscle to the physique because I actually do do that a lot. If I have competitors that are getting too lean in advance, then I will give them refeeds. And that's because I don't want them to burn their muscle off because if we burn muscle off getting on stage, you're going to have an overall lower quality physique on stage because you don't have enough muscle to really show through and present yourself in the best way. So kind of a tough question. That would be my answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's brilliant. And what about, I mean, refeeds, like do they like fix you hormonally or is it more of like a psychological savior, like to bring your calories up? Yeah. So a refeed does do, it actually does all that. It does all the above. It kind of, it definitely helps the mindset of a lot of people. If you're dieting hard, you know, it's never easy to diet. And so a refeed can help a lot with that. The mindset, the psychological benefit of, okay, I just got a little bit of boost. I feel good. You know, there's some hormones that come with that too. That's why you kind of feel that way, but it yeah. also helps your body on a metabolic level. It can help, you know, with different amounts of leptin and things like that in your glycogen and so on and so forth. It's all kind of dependent on the athlete and where their calories were and what they were doing and the carbs and all that that they had. But yeah, it definitely has a benefit metabolically. Um, you can also you use refeeds to help competitors lean out more because when the metabolism is slowing down and like we were talking about earlier, you know, it's inevitable it's going to slow down. Some people get stubborn body fat. They just can't burn in those last few weeks of prep. And so what you can do is a refeed and it can sometimes help boost the metabolism up just a little bit just for a few days or something like that to where now you might be able to burn a little bit of that extra fat because you're basically tricking that primitive part of your brain we were talking about into thinking, okay, we got food. We're good. We're not dieting. We don't need to worry about it. And so they have benefits pretty much all around hormonally, metabolically, and um definitely mentally for the mindset, but I'll be honest, I don't use them a ton because I don't coach competitors in such a form where they would be so depleted and so deprived that they necessarily need one. Literally when I bring them in, it's actually in a way like, oh, their physique's looking too good for where they're at in uh, the amount of weeks that we have left. And I don't want to have them getting in a spot where they're so lean that they start to burn muscle. So I'll bring that in as a way to like make sure the body doesn't start burning the muscle. Awesome. I love that. And what about that pump feeling? Like, do we, are we meant to feel that in order for the muscle to grow or is that not necessary? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would say it's not necessary just to answer yeah. it very quickly and easily. Sure. You can train highly effectively and you don't need to get a pump to, to get results at all. 
it is a byproduct of basically your glycogen stores in your body or maybe the pre-workout you took. But a lot of times it's not related to your actual result. Um, you Anybody who's been training for a long period of time knows that you can go to the gym and you might not get a pump or whatever, but you might be incredibly sore or maybe you don't get a pump for like several weeks, but you're still making progress. That's just what happens. The body's going to respond to what's going on. The actual effect of attaining, you know, the kind of the blood pump and all that going on in the gym is more an effect of what training method you're doing, not necessarily going to help you get a better result. Um, like for example, anybody listening to this right now, if you want to just sit there and do 300 air squats while you're standing here, you could do 300 air squats. Your legs will get pumped up. Your legs will feel very, very pumped and very heavy and very tired. Same thing you're doing in the gym sometimes when you get a pump, but do we think that that's going to be better than doing some squats with weight? I don't think so. Yeah, for sure. I <laughs> know that's awesome. You answered that perfectly. Um, and I was going to ask as well, Ryan, like what's your view on like a new body weight settling point? Like, for example, I've lost weight um, a couple of months ago. And for some reason, my body seems to naturally want to sit there, which is great for me, I guess. But is that like yeah. a thing? Like, do people sort of, I guess, lose weight and their body naturally sits there if, if you stay in that place for a while? Yeah, so you're saying you lost weight and now your body's just staying there pretty naturally, right? Yeah, like I was 56 kilos, which is about 123 pounds, and I yeah. couldn't get it to budge. And then once I dropped that weight for show, like I, my body just sort of like, I don't know, it seems to naturally, yeah, sit there, sit at the new 53 kilo weight. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, what could be happening is you actually improved your your uh, body composition, right? So you may have built more muscle and then lost weight. And now having the amount of body composition that you have, you actually burn more calories at rest. That could be something that's happening. Um, in reality, you can definitely do that as, as a new weight. I mean, there's so many people that are like, that are not competitors, but like people that are severely overweight, right? Obese, whatever, they lose hundred pounds. They don't gain it back if they continue to do the right things. So I would say for the most part, you know, if you're setting into a new uh, point, a new lower point on your weight, it would probably be for anybody listening because you have adapted the lifestyle. You just mm -hmm. now live in the lifestyle. Like I'm sure that when you lost from 123 down to 116, um, you didn't necessarily just kind of, you know, I'm sure you kept doing the same stuff, right? You train, you eat, you're doing all those kind of things still. And so your body basically has adapted to the new lifestyle. Yeah, I definitely am working out a hell of a lot more. <laughs> so that's <laughs> definitely probably it. But um, the next question I was dying to get the answer for. So why is it that you never really see fats and carbs or equal, I guess, even when calories are equated for? It's always one or the other, like high carbs, lower fats, or vice versa. Dang, you just got a lot of the best questions, I swear. Uh, this is <laughs> nobody has ever asked me in my life. This is awesome. Like, it's great. You're, your listeners are getting a great episode. Um, yeah, so, okay, great question. I like it. Basically, when it comes to your actual macros, right, which we're talking about proteins, carbs, fats. I also throw fibers in there, but I'm not going to go into that right now. But basically yeah. – uh, what I always say you got to do is carbs should be the highest variable nutrient, okay? And the reason that I say that is because it is the one that's going to dictate whether or not we can move calories up or down basically, okay? And so let me back up. Basically, protein is a constant nutrient. You pretty much always need to have protein in your diet. 
uh, whether you're on prep, whether you're not, you know, if you're an athlete, you're training with weights and things like that, you need more protein, obviously, than the average everyday person. But everybody needs protein just for basic function, like your hair is made of protein. And you know, your brain, like literally all these things are made largely of protein. And so you need to have that. So that's an essential, very essential nutrient, right? Um, Fats are the next most important based on what we know about, you know, just general research into dietary fats and things like that, because they dictate a lot of hormone function and things like that. And so if you get very, very low on fat, you will have problems pretty, pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Like if you just went to zero fat, there's not many zero fat diets out there that I'm aware of because you would have some serious health issues. Carbs, however, are a almost non-essential nutrient, meaning like people, there's plenty of people out there that do the keto diet, very low carb, and they do it with pretty good health. And they're out there, you know, doing the same that if somebody had high carbs and they might be at the same markers of health. So with that, the carbs can be manipulated. So that's the type of um, nutrient that I like to bring up or bring down depending on where someone is at. Now, the question being, you know, if calories are equated for, why do we have to see these things move up and down? And I would say that it's basically due to the fact of micronutrients, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about macros, we're talking about proteins, carbs, fats, but we also need to be concerned about the micros, the antioxidants and the minerals and the vitamins and the other things that come with this type of stuff. Now, if you are following a specific type of a nutrition program, Uh, You want to count your macros because you want to make sure that you're going to get enough of your micros, right? That's one of the things that people always say about macro tracking and flexible dieting, things like that. Well, how do you know you're getting enough vitamins, minerals, whatever? It's because you got to stick to actually hitting those specific ratios. And those can differ from person to person depending on how that person's body responds best. There are definitely types of people that have a harder time on a higher carbohydrate diet versus a higher fat diet. And that can come back into, you know, some of the stuff we talked about on here about genetics and so on and so forth. But there are definitely different body types. And with that, we know that, okay, certain things are more likely to happen with insulin and, you know, the secretion of all these different other mechanisms of the body that can definitely change it. Now, how do you know it's which ones work best for you? You got to really look at uh, how your body responds. And can you do just calories as a normal person and get great results? Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Maybe you don't even count your macros and you just count your calories. You can get results. There's actually plenty of people out there that do that. But if you're a competitor and you want to take your physique to a new level, like the next level, very high level of literally you are training to go stand on stage and get your physique judged. Well, macros might be something you want to pay attention to. For sure. That was awesome. And what about in terms of protein? Like, is there an equation or like per pound like that you recommend, ladies? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, protein. So I always say, I mean, it's kind of the old school, you know, way one gram per pound of body weight, you know, that's kind of what they've always said. And that's kind of funny because it was basically said by Arnold that was bro scientist, you know, no real science supporting that. But when you look at the real science behind uh, protein intakes, you know, we're still seeing very similar to that metric. And that kind of just takes care of it. So I say, you know, one gram per pound of body weight. Some people I find need more if they train harder. It's It's got to fit your uh, training program. You know what I mean? Like you can't just assume that you need some certain amount of protein and then there's a special equation for that because we have to take into consideration individual differences, right? Like if you're training very, very hard, maybe uh, 
six days a week. Uh, you need a different amount probably than someone who's doing four and so on and so forth. And definitely, you know, sedentary people that, which is not competitors, not what we're talking about, but they need far less than somebody who's an athlete. And so with that, you got to understand it also comes down to your conditioning and the level of muscle you carry. Cause the more muscle you carry, the more protein you need to keep carrying that muscle because your body will literally burn it off. If you do not have the right amount of protein to support the muscle mass you have. And so, it highly varies. Uh, I don't run any specific one equation. I do a ton of different equations. And then I honestly am basing protein intakes like every other macro off of how I'm seeing an athlete or a client respond, you know, their actual response to it. Do they look better? Do they look worse? Are they feeling better? Are they feeling worse? You know, so on and so forth there. And it really, it becomes a hack that you got to do. If you want a generic kind of start, I'd say one gram per pound of body weight and you're probably going to be starting in a pretty good realm, go up or down from there based on how you respond and how your body feels. Amazing. And what about like a vegan prep? Like I know it's a different amino acid profile from meat. So do you think girls can look the same vegan um, prepping? Yeah, absolutely. I have vegan pros that I coach and um, I have vegan amateurs I coach. I have a lot of people doing all different types of diets. That's why I keep hammering home. I probably said it 81 times by now on this podcast, like the customization, because I've seen so many things work now at this point in my career for different people. It's insane. Like things that people would definitely say would never work. I've actually seen it work. And it comes down to the fact of the the coaching being where it needs to be. You know what I mean? If you really can customize things and set somebody up. It will do great for vegans. Absolutely, it can do very, very well. Um, it, it you just need to make sure that the nutrient profiles are correct. You still got to get the right amounts of protein. You still got to get the right carbs and the right fats. And you know, uh, some people don't do enough protein on a vegan diet, and that can be where it becomes a problem. But last time I checked, there's also no specific vegan macro split. You know what I mean? Like keto, you have to hit like twenty or you know thirty carbs a day if you go over your messed up, you know, and you have to hit a specific ratio of protein fats. Well, vegan diets don't have that. Vegan diets are mainly like, okay, here's your carbs, here's your proteins, here's your fats, here's your calories. Go get that stuff. Well, if you got the right setup and you got the right macros, you will still get results, your body will still respond. Um, Obviously, the nutrition sources are going to be different, animals versus plants. But very much so, I see similar results for for vegan competitors versus um, competitors that eat meat. And really, it all comes down to the the right profiles, the right calories. Awesome. That is so good to know. And a bit of a controversial question, but what about PEDs or steroids, however you want to word it? Do you think there's a place for them in bikini? Performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So this will probably blow a lot of people's minds that they go look at Team Flex Instagram and all the awards <laughs> and all the pros and everybody we coach. I have never coached an athlete in my entire career using performance enhancing drugs, men or women. I've never done it. So, no yeah, totally natural. Natural from the start, natural run all the time. This goes back to what I was saying about the hospital and all this stuff. You know, I know mm-hmm. just the side effects and the things that people can get and how many people do get side effects. So, I've never done it. And And I've never wanted to do it. And with that, you know, Team Flex, we coach bikini pros. We coach figure pros. We coach men's physique pros. We got got all kinds of people winning shows at the amateur level all the time. And really what I've come to find is like, yeah, I mean, some coaches would tell you that you need them. 
I don't believe that whatsoever at all. I, I strongly disagree with the statement that you would need performance enhancing drugs to do bikini at all because there's a lot of top Olympians that are not doing performance enhancing drugs whatsoever. You know, they're natural athletes competing. And at this in this division, specifically bikini, you know, the amount of muscle that you need to have, the right, the right amount of conditioning, the shape, the size, all that. It is very, very attainable naturally. Do you have to train hard? Yeah. Do you have to eat right? Yes, you do. But can you get those results without using drugs? Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's not at all comparable to what bodybuilding has become where basically now if you want to be an Olympian bodybuilder, sure, there's not really a way you can do that naturally. But bikini is different. And so with that, you know, I strongly suggest against it. Um, if you got, if like, if you're a first timer, if you're going into your first prep and you hired a coach that's saying, Hey, cool, let's do this prep. Here's all your drugs to take huge red flag right there. You should probably, you know, get your money back, move on. Even if you can't get your money back, I'm telling you, ladies, don't go just do stuff because you're told. Make sure you understand everything because I know, unfortunately, a lot of coaches also will put competitors on this type of stuff and tell them it's a supplement. Tell them not what it really is. Like, hey, go buy this. It's just another one of your protein powders or you know, it's another fat burner. And in reality, they're taking a hormone compound that will literally alter the hormones of that person potentially for the rest of their life. And you know, a lot of men that do performance enhancing drugs, they have to, when they quit competing, they have to go on testosterone replacement therapy. They have to like go on a doctor prescribed dose of a steroid basically for the rest of their life. And so this, if you don't think this kind of stuff happens to women, that's crazy. Cause you're putting them, you know, when we're talking about performance anti drugs, we're talking mainly about male compounds being injected into female bodies, which help build muscle and burn fat. But they're also going to have severe side effects Pretty much no matter what, if you're going to get into performance and energy drugs, you will deal with side effects on some level. The amounts obviously vary, but it's definitely not something you need to do. And it's something I don't suggest. And again, if you don't believe what I said about every person on Team Flex not taking the stuff, go look at the damn transformations. Go look at the awards. Go look at all the pros. Look at everybody. And then you'll realize it's definitely attainable naturally. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Like, like you, I probably, I don't have a problem with people doing it, but I just wanted to let the girls know that it's definitely not, not a necessity in order to go pro. So that's cool. Yeah. Not a necessity. And if you do decide to do it, great, but make sure you understand what you're doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Don't go into it blind at all. Don't, don't just listen to what somebody else says. Make sure you know, don't listen to what we just said either. Make sure you do your own research. Yes. Study things, anything that you're putting in your body, even if it's a protein powder, make sure you know what's going to happen. You know, what's going on, what things you potentially face and so on and so forth. Awesome. And what about good old cardio? Like, what do you recommend? Do you prefer fasted, hit? Like, yeah, what's your take on it? Cardio, uh, this is probably another controversial statement, honestly, from Coach Rye over here. Uh, yeah, well. car cardio, I say, as little as you possibly can do to get away with, and that's it. Like, literally, uh, my goal when I train competitors, especially bikini, is that I'm trying to make sure that they can eat as much as they possibly can and still get results and do cardio only as an um, like a necessity if something is not working right with the training and the nutrition, I try to build all the programs to where we're going to attain competition physiques, going into shows, doing very low amounts of cardio and training hard and eating right. 
And that's most of the time what we can do. If I do have people do cardio, I'm literally going to assess them on an individual level and see how they kind of respond best. You know, like maybe some people prefer a steady state. Maybe some people like hit. Well, either way, it's going to work. If you do steady state, you got to do longer. Obviously, if you do hit, you can get away with doing shorter and get the same result. Uh, I'm not stuck in either one. I'll give people whatever they need, but my goal is always to do as little as I can. And for some people, I get them to stage and never, never even did one cardio session. Amazing. So the minimum effective dose, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, that's because if you start overdoing cardio too, you're going to boost your your cortisol and have all other sorts of problems that come up. And you're basically just telling your metabolism, hey, it's time to slow down. Let's stop burning body fat. In a lot of ways, overdoing cardio actually can make you gain body fat, which a lot of people would probably shake their head at. But in reality, that can happen a lot. And it does happen to a lot of people that end up overtraining. Sure. Great advice. And what about good old peak week? Like I'm sure it varies from athlete to athlete, but like what are your opinions on like water loading, taking out salt, or do you just sort of treat it as any other normal week? Yeah. So peak week, uh, my peak week is again, one of these controversial moments. They just keep coming up on here. I don't do the traditional peak weeks at all. Like uh, team flex peak weeks are what I call the easiest week of prep. Okay. Cause the work should be done. The work should be done. You're coming into your competition. It's time to kick your feet up and cruise right into the show. Worry about all the other things, you know, worry about packing your bag, right? Not forgetting your suit, your heels and things like that. Make sure you get all that stuff in line. Um, but peak week, as far as how, you know, we're going to do any of the traditional protocols. We don't, I don't do the water load. I don't do the carb drop. I don't do the salt, you know, the sodium manipulation. I don't do any of that. I've never done it. And I, that was one of those things that I looked at when I was telling you, you know, back in the beginning of this episode where I used to look at the contest prep industry, like what's going on here? Why are people doing all this crazy stuff? I see all these people eating packets of ketchup and, you know, doing salt shots and whatever. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. This is not even effective. I don't do any of that and I've never had to. And, you know, it works very, very well. What peak week is for my competitors could be a small shift in what they're eating based on how they're looking, but that would happen any other week too, any other time during a prep or not. Um, you know, we actually back off training. So I have people stop training about midweek, three, four days out from their show. And I'm having them literally focus on their mindset at this point, you know, like getting their head in the game, making sure everything's in order and giving the body a break. Basically, you know, you're at the end of a prep, you've worked very hard and now it's time to really settle in and enjoy the last bit of your prep. Um, as far as water, keep it the same. I tell people don't change your water. Anytime you try to drop water, if you take diuretics and things like that, you're actually signaling to your muscles to shed water first. And mm-hmm. when you do that, the result is you look less muscular on stage and you can't really get rid of the subcutaneous water, which is the water right under your skin, unless you are so severely dehydrated that like you must be out in the middle of the desert for a hundred days or something, because basically <laughs> to get rid of that little bit of water, it is so, it is so against everything that happens in your body internally, it won't happen. So what happens is you burn your muscle down, you look softer on stage, it doesn't actually help you. So drinking a good, healthy amount of water, same amount you've had your whole prep is going to be your best bet for that. Um, same with the sodium, your body will naturally regulate your sodium levels. So you don't need to mess with that. I know a lot of competitors think that 
if they have a little extra sodium, uh, you know, they might be too puffy or maybe they try the opposite, which is what a lot of people do. And they try to actually take sodium in, you know, conjunction with where their show is on comp day to try to look like they're pumped up or whatever. Well, uh, these things just don't have any merit. Your body just won't deal with that. It's not going to, it's not really going to affect you in my opinion enough for it to be worth trying to do that. What I say, you know, peak week wise is, Go into the show, have everything prepared, and you're basically done. You did the work. It's the easiest week of a prep if you did your prep the right way. Oh, I love that. And what about like the last leg day? Like I guess if your show's on a Saturday, when would you stop? Yeah, so that'd be a Tuesday or like a Wednesday, you know what I mean? Like everybody, if, if the show's on Saturday, I have everybody stop training on Wednesday. And mm-hmm. the last leg day probably is a Tuesday based on – you know, the schedule I gave you, I don't particularly go out of my way to shift the training around or anything like that. Um, I'm just having people, you know, basically stop training for the, the benefit of focusing on the mindset, because that's really what becomes the most important I've found as a coach during peak week is it's not about the nutrition anymore because you've been doing that. You're, you're good at it. And if you're not, you shouldn't be competing right now. And the training (laughs) is the same, right? You've been training, you did great. You trained your way all the way to the show. So these things are not what you need to worry about now. Hopefully you've been posing. If you haven't, we got bigger problems. Uh, (laughs) The main thing is now the mindset, right? The brain starts to get at you. You start looking at different people in the hashtags on Instagram that are doing your show and you're freaking yourself out and you're wondering if you're ready or if you're conditioned enough and all this. And so I say, you know what, this last bit of time, you need to unplug from that. You need to, you know, sometimes I even tell people, get off your damn phone. Don't go on Instagram that whole peak week. That might be your biggest change in peak week is like, hey, Instagram, you're done with it for now. Like you're going in the show now. But, you know, telling people to take time to meditate and to relax and to just, you know, focus on everything so that, hey, by the time Thursday comes, if you've got a Saturday show, everything's in order. You don't need to pack your bag. You don't need to worry about if you're going to remember your bikini. You don't need to worry about when your tan is. You got all that done. And now you can sit there and have some peace of mind that the work's been done. There's nothing that needs to change. It is time to go and enjoy the moment that you've worked so hard for and step on stage and enjoy that experience. That is awesome. And I've seen you've done like a few seminars with Sandy Williamson. So yes. in terms of posing, can you give us any pointers or some things that maybe we like definitely shouldn't do? Oh yeah. Wow. I could, this is another like four hour combo we could have right here alone. <laughs> so so I'm to sum it up. <laughs> yeah. If anybody gets a chance, I will say go to any of those seminars. Uh, yeah. There's a chance you might even see me there. Cause I do a lot of those with her all year, but yeah, basically the most, uh, let me think. I'll just try to condense you some tips yeah. here. One of the most important things is um, back pose. This is yeah. an issue that a lot of competitors don't understand. And even a lot of posing coaches just do not get is the back pose can be dramatically affected negatively if you do not stand upright enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so this is how I'll say it. The judges, they're sitting on a, a table that is below the stage, right? They're literally looking up at you in your back pose when they're judging you or any of these other poses for that matter. What happens though is a lot of competitors try to, bikini competitors in their back pose, try to bend forward more, more so to show hamstring or glued ham tie or whatever. And the end result is actually a dramatic shift in the proportion of that physique. 
because basically if you could imagine this and anybody trying to imagine it just you if you imagine it, you'll see what i'm saying if we're looking at a bikini competitor in a back so pose but we're actually looking from a lower level well if yeah. she starts to bend forward we're actually gonna lose her upper body right like her upper body symmetry is going smaller and smaller where now all of a sudden her glute hamstrings quads all that's looking way oversized and if we're talking about bikini what they're looking for in every pose you do is symmetry from upper to lower body so instantly now we're getting way shifted in the symmetry and that's a huge issue and again sandy says this herself she says this to me i don't even know how many times it's almost like a broken record the judges are not looking for your glute ham tie they're not looking for your hamstrings they're not looking at that they're looking in your back pose for the majority of what you're getting scored on right there the symmetry from upper lower the shoulders that match the glutes that match the legs and the waist and all that that symmetry is what they want to see and so if you bend too far forward you're going to kill your play on that back pose there so that's a really important tip and one way you can really work on this and this is my best one of my best posing cues is to do your back pose but also imagine that you have a string tied to the top of your head that's literally pulling you straight up to the ceiling and that a lot of the time is going to be the only cue you need to know how far to stand up and you're actually going to feel far more like you're almost just standing there with your back arched than you are doing any type of bending or anything like that, okay? So yeah. that's one for, that I would give for that. Um, let me think here. What's another really good good pose thing that people mess up? Um, I would say overall one thing that's very beneficial is understanding that your poses have to be – for you okay and sandy talks about this often where uh, a lot of comparators watch their favorite bikini pro on instagram or you know whatever and it might work really well for that one but it's not necessarily going to be the best pose for you every pose that you do as a competitor should do this it should accentuate your strong points like really show off what you got dialed what you got down and it should hide or you know prevent showing any weak areas you might have because here's the crazy thing about judging judges when you do your posing they're looking for your flaws they're looking for the areas where you are not as developed the areas you're not as conditioned the areas where you know you might not be here or there and so with that you got to understand the best thing you can do as a competitor is show them your best all the time so you want to work a routine where you're doing your fronts your transitions and your back poses where you're always showing them that angle and you're never showing them the one that could score you down right and so that really comes down to knowing your physique having a coach that knows your physique and being able to really take that to the level where you have perfected a routine that's totally individual to you because the crazy thing is any of you ladies listening if you go watch 20 of your favorite bikini pros posings you will see that even though they do the same poses right they're doing a front and they're doing a back well there's a lot of difference going on there like the, the way that maybe one competitor's hips are turned or their shoulders rotate this much or so on and so forth, or even maybe the whole pose is different. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best pose for you. You got to find the pose that is the best for you, and that's the one that is going to probably provide you the best thing. Last thing that I'll say on posing cues, because I know I talk too much about all this, is uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> one more thing that's really important is that a lot of competitors think that the more time they spend on stage, 
the better they're doing for themselves, right? Like that's every girl's goal all the time is if they have, you know, over here we get 10 to 15 seconds basically to pose. If they have 10 to 15, but they can get away with 20 or 30, then maybe they should, right? They should be out there trying to pose, you know, longer in the front, longer in the transition, longer in the back. Well, what actually happens is I just gave you all a little secret. Judges are looking for your flaws. And so if you give them more time to assess your physique for flaws, it can actually end up hurting you more than helping you most of the time. And you will see this come across the board with a lot of very good posers and a lot of competitors that do very well is they come out and they show their best pose very quickly and they move to their next best pose and then they are off the stage because what happens here is they're not spending a lot of time in transitions. They're not taking extra time in the front. They're not taking extra time in their back. They're really trying to show the judges quickly hey, look at my physique. This is really good. This is my best angle. I'm not going to let you look at me long enough to find where the problems are. And then I'm going to get off stage. And now you're sitting there as a judge saying, wow, that was crazy. She looked really good, but I didn't necessarily get to see enough of what's going on here. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call her out in the first call outs. And I'm going to look at her and I'm going to assess what's going on here. And Sandy herself has said, the best thing that you can do as a bikini competitor specifically is come out front pose, back pose, get the hell off stage as fast as you can. Because basically what you're doing then is if you got it, if you did your prep right, you brought your physique and you got the right presentation, there is no way that you can't show that and the judges won't be dramatically affected by it to the point where they want to take you back out and put you in that first call out. I love that. I'm going to have that running through my head before I go out on stage for sure. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and what about pumping, Ryan, like pumping up? Like what protocol do you recommend for the ladies? Yeah, pumping up uh, is something that I suggest for sure because it can help for sure when it comes to, you know, bringing your best out there. It's individual for every person. How funny that I would say that, right? I've said that like 8,000 times. But basically, I'm looking at everybody's physique, you know, whoever it is, and I'm saying, all right, well, what do we got to do? What weak points do I want to hide and which strong points do I want to really accentuate? And so with that, I'm building routines out where we – I give the variance of dumbbells or bands – because I want people to be able to have whatever, you know, sometimes shows have dumbbells or they have bands or sometimes people just bring their bands and either way I'm, I'm giving them the same type of routine. Uh, 15, you know, 10 to 15 minutes before your class goes out, start doing a pump up. If you're doing a whole little, you know, carb candy or whatever, you know, some people try to do that as a strategy like, oh, I want to have my, my sugars so that I can get my pump faster. Yeah, uh, it's hit or miss if that will actually work. I tell my competitors to bring your favorite candy because it's your reward right before you go out. You know, just enjoy your little treat, do your little pump up and get on stage. And so an actual pump up for me, and this goes across every division, by the way, but bikini competitors especially, you should not pump your lower body up, okay? You should not mm -hmm. pump up your legs. You don't want to pump up your calves or your glutes or any of that. And the reason is, okay, a lot of – and like I've made infographics about this on my Instagram and like competitors that have been competing for years were like mind blown. And then a bunch of judges reposted it and were like backing it. So this is what happens 
is when you are pumping up your legs, you're you're pulling blood down into your legs, right? Like if anybody's ever done a really heavy leg day and you got a leg pump, well, your legs were heavy and they were thick and they felt, you know, they were, they look soft and that's because they have a lot of blood in them. Well, guess what we're not trying to do in bikini or any of these divisions for that matter is show heavy pumped, you know, soft looking legs. That's going to score you down. So when you start pumping legs as a bikini competitor, you actually are softening your legs up. And that's the same for pretty much all divisions. And that's why you see sometimes it shows, you know, there's the bodybuilders or the bikini girls that are laying with their legs up against the wall. And that's to pull the blood out of the legs so that they can appear aesthetic and lean on stage. And let's not forget gravity as we stand around, as we pose, as we do anything is always pulling blood down. So what you actually want to do in a pump up, if you do it the right way, Mm-hmm. is pump up the upper body because if you pump your shoulders up, you do a little bit of back, maybe upper back, so on and so forth. A pump up is mainly going to be your arms and your shoulders. Well, now you've taken any blood that was down in the legs and you've pulled it up into your upper body. And if you successfully achieve your pump up, well, now you can pretty much guarantee that your legs have less of the, you know, the softening effect in them. And so what happens is competitors, bikini competitors can roll out on stage having done an upper body pump up and they're going to show more muscle fullness up top and it's going to match the lower body and the conditioning will be even throughout. That's one other thing uh, judges are always looking for is even conditioning, right? Like you could have a super awesome shredded shoulders and six six pack abs as a bikini girl, but if your legs are really soft and it's not going to, it's not going to help you place, right? It's actually going to hurt you. So pumping up correctly can actually fix your, your composition in a way where you can come out on stage and you have an even look at conditioning. Your legs look at the right level of conditioning and your upper body is full as it should be. And that's kind of the pump up protocol for what I suggest. That is awesome. And what about, um, like we're coming to a close, but any books or websites, I guess, for the girls out there other than joining Team Flex that they should read or make a difference? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, the NPC website is probably a great one as well. Yeah, NPC News Online is great for getting a ton of competition information. I mean, everything's out there. There's not a ton of books and stuff. I mean, there's a, there is a lot of books and things like that, but none that specifically go into like the current day and age of what's going on. We got a lot of old school stuff, but I honestly always think that that's beneficial because you can go and look and see the fact that like at the time, um, you know, Arnold's book was being written, the bodybuilding encyclopedia when they were saying all this is, you know, good, all this is real, all this. Well, now most of that stuff's not (laughs) proven anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. It's actually been disproven. So I think it's important as a competitor, you know, like uh, I hope one thing that came across in this whole podcast we did today is like everything that I said is my side of it, my experience with it, but I'm by no means saying live or die by what I said. And I hope that nobody, no matter where you go, what you listen to, what you read or anything that you live or die by what you hear one time, what you got to do as a competitor is you got to really go into the sport, understand that this is a lot more than standing in a bikini on stage. This is your health. This is your wellness. This is your metabolism. This is your ability to, you know, uh, be a good girlfriend, a good wife, a good uh, mom. You know, this goes so far beyond a 12-week prep. But the stuff that you do in a 12-week prep can literally affect the rest of your life if you do it incorrectly. And so with that, you got to really decide – where your own heart lies in all that. 
right? You got to make your own decisions. You got to get your own education and you got to understand stuff. And that's why I suggest, hey, you know what? If you're going to get a coach and you're going to stick with that coach, awesome, great. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't pay attention to what else is being said by other coaches and what kind of stuff people have wrote that were coaching 40 years ago and stuff like that. You want to absorb as much information as you can like a sponge from everybody possible so that you can take from that and say, okay, well, here's what I agree with. Here's what I don't. Here's what I want to do, and here's what I don't. And then you will have built your own individualized, you know, approach to what works, what you want to do, and how you want to really progress in this sport, but in the bodybuilding lifestyle in general. And I think, you know, podcasts like this are great for that. You can learn so much. I know there's so many people that you've interviewed and way more to come, right? Where people can sit here and they can listen and they can get 10 different perspectives in a day. And then hopefully they can sit down and say, okay, well, you know, there are some things I agreed with, some things I didn't. And I hope that a lot of you got that with me today too. I hope you listen and there's some stuff I said you agreed with and there's some that you didn't because that's what makes bodybuilding bodybuilding. The individuality and the total customization that guess what? This has to become a lifestyle and a lifestyle you can't tell anybody else what their lifestyle needs to be. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Ryan. You've honestly been incredible. This has been, yeah, such a blast and you've given us so much good information. So yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. And I'll put, um, so the best way to reach out would be um, DM you on Instagram or straight to the website. Yeah, so if you want to check out a bunch of free stuff and a bunch of resources, videos, um, I run those on teamffelex.com slash video. I actually do a video series all week. It's dedicated towards all different parts of competing, prep, whatever, nutrition, training, you know, all this kind of stuff. A lot of what we talked about today, I have a whole whole thing dedicated for that's all free. Okay. That's a great place to go. That that's on the website at team There's also a really cool thing I have for anybody uh, that wants to try it. You can try our coaching for free. We do a free trial of our coaching for seven days where you can get into our training app, try it totally free and anybody can do it. And we will literally coach you like we coach our world-class, you know, pros, athletes, people like that. We will coach you hundred percent and it's free. No obligation. You don't have to put your card in. It's nothing like like that. It's totally free as a give back really to the world of bodybuilding and competitors and something we just want to do to help more people. So that's really the best place to go. I'm on all the social medias at team FFLEX for any questions or anything anybody ever wants to say. I'm always down to help anyone. I don't care if you have a different coach. I don't care if you work with my number one competitor. I want to help anybody any way I can because that's what I believe this is all about. That's what I believe coaching should be about. So thanks again, everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get the final edit. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Bye.